Uh, Father, we bow our hearts to you, asking that you would illuminate your word. Moses said to you once, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know if you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And I agree with Moses, Lord. I am firmly entrenched in the mindset of my culture. I'm motivated by self-protection and comfort and confess on behalf of this church our unintentional sins. But still, Father, we have a desire to see your hidden things revealed, to have the plans of the wicked fail, to see the righteous vindicated, to hear the voices of thousands upon thousands of angels in joyous song. We believe in your holy word and the law and the prophets and in the power of your blood, Jesus, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Speak to us and through us now by your Holy Spirit. Guide us into truth, comfort those who need it and restore our souls. Uh, Mike left off, amen. There's a little bit of ringing, Bob, and I won't need it so loud. Um, is that it? So Mike left off in 1 Samuel where uh, the Israelites had decided early on uh, a couple, one chapter before to have the Ark of the Covenant brought into battle. The, the Philistines captured it and they take it into the temple of their God. And um, it's kind of funny, they wake up in the morning and the statue of um, Dagon is on its face before the Ark of the Lord. So they set it up again and they, uh, they come the next morning and the statue is on its face again. And uh, the scripture says the head and hands were broken off and scattered out and all that's left was the fishy part. So Dagon is, the, Dagon is a merman. And so the, all that was left was the fish part. I think that was really interesting. So that's where we're gonna pick up. Uh, head and hands broken off, yeah, 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 yeah. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. So I don't know, I don't remember if Mike said this, but Ashdod was the, one of the central places for Dagon worship. It was about three miles off the coast. It was, a, it was a central location. It was one of the five huge Philistine cities. Oh yeah, okay. So when I'm looking at this stuff, I'm just thinking, where are they? What's the deal with Ashdod? We've heard the story before, and there is something very peculiar about Ashdod and its vicinity. In Numbers 13, and that's this little thing. Moses sends out 12 spies to the promised land. He sends them to explore Canaan. He says, go through the Negev and onto the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? 
How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they explore, they go all over the place. At the end of the, uh, at the end of the 40 days, they come back to Moses and Aaron and you recognize the story, this is the bad report. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They had this bundle of grapes that was so big they had to carry it on a pole between two men. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. The Canaanites are synonymous with the, uh, the Philistines or the ancestors. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. It's pretty intimidating. So Ashdod and these other Philistine cities, these other Philistine cities were assigned to the tribe of Judah, and God had told Joshua to go in and clean these places out, but he didn't. So the Philistines remained in several of these cities. So more or less 450 years later, you have um, this incident of the ark going to Ashdod. Whenever you have names of the cities, you look, you see, what does the name mean? I don't know if it means, uh, oftentimes the name of the city has something to do with the story, but Ashdod means the tower. So they take it to Ashdod. Uh, they have this issue with Dagon's temple. When the men of Ashdod saw, wait, back up. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. When the men of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark, of God, the, God, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us and upon Dagon, our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what should we do with the ark of God? So I'm looking into this, I'm reading all the commentaries and there are different, there are different, that, what is it, Mike, the Septuagint is the older? Is the Greek translation. So in the Septuagint, it says that they, they all got basically hemorrhoids or boils, lots of boils. And, and you know what's interesting about teaching live as to sitting out at the picnic table while the car show's going on? You don't notice the long pauses between 
thoughts. But I was at this all day yesterday, thinking and looking at this and thinking, what is going on? And one of the things that I just kept trying to figure out was like, why? They bring the ark in, they think they have this great prize, but the fact is, is that the Lord, they just carry his presence right in the middle of them and he just goes ahead and unleashes. I think that there's a precedent. It seems like Like the Lord doesn't just want to judge people. He wants them to repent. And in Revelation 9.20, there's these judgments, these woes. And at the end of Revelation 9.20, it says, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. They did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. I think that the Lord had been, the Lord is always speaking to groups of people, but if they refuse to repent, he still holds them accountable. When I think of that scripture in Revelation, they did not stop worshiping demons. I would say that, uh, Dagon falls into that category. And people who worship demons are essentially trading their own life, they're bargaining their life away for knowledge and power because they don't do it for nothing. They get something from it. People who worship demons have a certain amount of power because it is real. Stop trusting in idols that cannot see or hear or walk. And the Lord doesn't want us trusting in idols, trusting in things that are the opposite of our Lord, who sees our suffering, who hears our cries, and who acts on behalf of those who trust in him. He's not, looking from the outside, it would seem like Oh, what's, what's, the, what's the Christian God's, what's the Jewish God's problem? He's always got a stick in his craw for when people want to worship other gods. But he knows that when you worship demons, when you worship these, these entities, you, you don't, you always have to pay. You don't get help. And he is constantly saying, look at me, look at me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to... I'm gonna reach out and I'm going to show you that I do exist. 
They didn't repent of their murders. And I'm saying all this because I think that this is what the Philistines were constantly involved in. They didn't repent of their murders. And that includes dehumanizing others or condemning innocence or turning away from the needy. A society that dehumanizes people is a society that will leave those people on the, that will leave certain groups of people to die. All you have to do is put a label on them and you make them the, the others, the undesirables. They didn't repent of their magic arts. They'd be communicating with the dead or with unknown spiritual entities. If you are even partially aware of what's going on in our society right now, everyone you know believes in aliens. Everyone you know knows somebody that's into spiritualism and into communicating with angels. And these things are what, what the Lord is talking about in Revelation. I listen to it. I like to listen to what's going on in people who are not Christians, what's going on in their lives, what's going on in their thoughts. They're all talking about, they're all setting it up for this. Our alien space brothers are coming and they're going to help us out. They're going to give us technology. And I know several people who I work with, this is exactly how they think. But the Lord said not to interact or communicate with the dead or with spiritual entities that you don't know who they are and you don't know if you can trust them. You don't know what you're getting because they lie. They, haven't, they wouldn't repent of their sexual immoralities. And that would be taking advantage of any other human satisfying sexual appetite in ways that enslave the self to passion. And that for all of us guys who have been involved in this men's group and, and who are interested in overcoming kind of this thing in our society, our over-sexualized society, you get enslaved to passion in our society. And Mike's, Mike's been doing a paper on this and it is, it's fascinating where we are in our culture because people want to be, they want to do what they want to do and they don't want any consequences. And we have the medical expertise. We have the technology to basically free people from the consequences of their sins. And that's a problem. And again, it comes back to enslaved to passions. Remember that the, the worship of Dagon and the worship of Baal, there was temple prostitutes. And that was one of the things that the Lord was real concerned about is that the Israelites wouldn't, that the Israelites wouldn't, uh, marry up with the nations around them and get, get ensnared into the worship of their gods because it always had to do with temple prostitution, with enslavement. 
lastly in this, they're thefts. And you think, why is it thefts that he's referring to in all the judgments? They wouldn't repent of their thefts. So we all who live in this neighborhood know that if you leave anything on your car seat, your window gets broken out, right? It's just the way it is. There's not a day that I show up at my job site that I don't expect to walk up and see the door kicked in and a bunch of my tools gone. Because security is an illusion. There are no police anymore. They will not come. And that is an unnerving sense that you're constantly, you constantly have to be flexible and ready for your stuff to be gone. To pivot and say, okay, well, what do we do now? But there's another kind of theft. It's, it's like corporate theft, but it's more like the corporate society engaging in systems that steal what doesn't belong to us like paying for goods and services provided by slave labor. I've got to say something about this. I don't know what to do about it, but the fact is is that I think I can say that the majority of our companies, because of the way manufacturing is set up, most of the stuff comes out of China. And even if you look into was this stuff manufactured with slave labor? The fact is, is that almost every company has components of their products that are manufactured by slave labor. And we can't be sure, but you can look. But remember, everything you look at, made in China, made in China, made in China. And if you're not aware of what's going on, it, it's connected to us. It's connected to the body of Christ and it's a problem because once you find out about it, are you just gonna turn, your, turn a blind eye to it? I don't know what to do about it, but they have what's called re-education camps over there. You can do something wrong. You remember the Chinese Communist Party that has put up more cameras in China than anywhere in the world. They are the most big brother country in the world, everywhere you go, they have cameras up. And if you're, if you're in the wrong place where you're not allowed to be, you can get put in an educate, a, a re-education camp and you have no recourse. They put you in there, you're stuck. They reassign, they tell you you have two years that you're gonna be here and then they just change it. So that's, this is the society that we live in. They would not repent of their thefts. Participating in a lawless society that doesn't trust God to provide, but steals to survive. That's the, that's, this is my last observation on this theft part. The, us construction workers, anybody who's in the trades knows that there will be guys that will show up on your site and they'll have a truck and they'll just open the tailgate and they say, we got tools here cheap. We got extras on our shipments. We got them here cheap. Well, they've stolen those tools. That's been going on since I, was, since I first started construction. My coworkers are talking about it. They're like, I just, I can't pass it up. Can't pass it up. And 
That's just the, the thing that I observe, but I think it also happens when you're shopping Amazon online, and I'm almost done with this little rabbit trail, but I think it's important. You're shopping Amazon online, and Debbie was just talking about this yesterday. There are things that are handmade, and it might be $10,000. I don't remember what the thing was. There are things that are handmade, and then there are knockoffs that come from China. And unfortunately, the knockoff may be a third or half, half of the price. And you can hold in your mind, oh, I want to buy American-made or I want to buy non-slave labor goods. But then when you see the price, the price difference, the other part of your mind just switches and you just go, yeah, but it's such a good deal. I want that. Your body, your mind wants that little endorphin rush. So you just, you can only hold slave labor, slave labor in your mind for so long. Um, it's super inconvenient. It's a real problem for those of us that are aware of it and trying to do something about it. But I'm not saying that the Lord is gonna say, you'll be held accountable because you knew about that. But what I am saying is our kids are gonna look back at the church. They will, somebody will look back at the church and they'll just say, why didn't you guys do anything about that? Those are your brothers and sisters over there. Well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about it. So, thank you for your patience and letting me just do that. These are things that are on my heart and they are important. They're kind of boring. They're kind of uncomfortable and inconvenient, but it is one of my favorite things to do is to annoy people with that kind of thing. So, so this is the Philistines. This is the people we're dealing with. And the art comes in and people start getting tumors and I don't wanna to try to find this commentary, but it's, it's pretty brutal. It says that rats came out of everywhere. And you remember the plagues of Egypt? They had gnats and frogs and, and blood and darkness. Well, in this one, the uh, Septuagint, right, Mike? The Septuagint says that mice were springing up everywhere, mice and rats. Some commentators say it was bubonic plague and that's where they were getting the boils. Rats, rats carry the fleas, the fleas, bubonic plague. I don't know, I don't care. But one of the commentaries was so nasty. I just have to share this. This is right up there with shrunken heads. When I was in fourth grade, I did a, did a book report on shrunken heads and how they do it. So it was said that the Philistines in Ashdod and Gath and Ekron, that when they would go to try to relieve themselves, mice would jump up and grab on to their hemorrhoids and yank. So every time you sat down, they were like latching on to you. Ew. That gives me shivers. You know, you gotta dig for that kind of commentary too. 
So, uh, so they start off taking him to Ashdod, the tower, back to these names. And then the people complain and they get the rulers of the Philistines. So they get the Seattle City Council and they say, what are we going to do with all these homeless people? Well, so they say, just move it to Gath. Well, the Gath means the wine press. Does that mean anything yet? Well, I'm hoping somebody will tell me, somebody will see a connection. So they kick that can down the road, move the homeless people out of the parks so they can go park on the side of the roads. I'm getting at something here, it's bureaucracy. They, they are asking the rulers of the Philistines. So, I love this. So, they moved the Ark of God of Israel. Uh, but after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an, another outbreak of tumors. So they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. And Ekron, I don't understand why, but Ekron means either torn up by the roots or firmly rooted. Can you explain that to me, Mike? How it can mean two different things? Play on words. Okay. The tower to the wine press to firmly rooted or uprooted. So as the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought the ark of God of Israel around us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the Seattle City Council again and they said, send the ark of God away. Let it go back. Let it go back to its place or he will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy upon it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. I tried to see what the outcry of the city went up to heaven and it's just a metaphor for everybody was praying. Dear God, to whatever God they were just praying, let this stop. So chapter six, when the ark of God had been in Philistine territory seven months, and I was I also, the translation for territory is in the Philistine fields. So it seems like they had it in the three cities and then finally they just said, get it out of here. Put it out in that used car lot. They put it out there. But that's one of the commentaries was saying that in the fields, they put it out there and mice everywhere, mice everywhere. And they were just devastating everything, devastating all the crops, everything that was growing. So then there's a little change. After it was in the Philistine fields for seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and diviners. Now they're turning to the religious folks. And they say, what should we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. I don't know why they, why they thought it had a place, but for seven months, remember they thought that thing was a trophy and the Lord was just like, I'll show you trophy. So he says, well, they answered, if you return the ark of the God of Israel, don't send it away empty. But by all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed. 
and you'll know why his hand has not been lifted to you. I don't know why they knew this. I couldn't find any commentaries that talked about it. I'm sure Mike knows. But the Philistines said, what guilt offering should we send to him? And they replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country and pay honor to Israel's God. That's pretty cool. So these guys are supposed to know what's happening with all the gods. And, and this particular verse is a very special verse to me and to Debbie. Because on our very first date, before she even knew it was a date, I was calling her from a phone booth over in Totem Lake. We we're supposed to go to coffee. She didn't know I was wearing, uh, wearing cologne. You know, it was just going to be coffee because she would go to coffee with people all the time. We get, I'm calling her. It's a little cool out. I remember sitting there. So I just come from work. I'm talking on the phone in this phone booth. And we're talking about this very thing, the gold tumors and the gold rats. And I don't remember anything from the conversation other than thinking, oh, this girl is a keeper. This is our first conversation. Oh, this is good. Because at that point, I didn't think that anybody under 30 knew the Old Testament. I was just like, I went to crew, you know, the college group. And I was like, no, I'm never getting, nope, it's not happening. So she was the first one. I think that was pretty amazing. So the, uh, the priests and the diviners, they knew what to do. And then they refer to this story that's from 450 years earlier, give or take. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? When he treated them harshly, did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? So they, the priests and the diviners knew that you're dealing with the God of the Israelites and he may not relent. So you need to do something about this. So they say, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, take their calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord, put it on the cart and in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you're sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory towards Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it, if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us and that it happened to us by chance. So they're not 100% sure, but they set up this fail safe. They take two cows that have calved, that have never been attached to a yoke, and they hook them up to this cart. Those cows should, by all, by all natural inclinations, gone back to the calves. But the, ca but the cows headed down the road eight, nine miles, and the rulers of the Philistines just follow them, and the cows the whole way are going, mm, mm, mm. they did not want to go. They go all the way. Uh, 
blah, 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 blah. They placed the Ark of the Lord on the straight up towards Bethlehem, keeping on the road, lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. When they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cow. Now Beth Shemesh is a city of priests. It's Levites. Uh, it was set aside for the priests. And uh, so everyone there knew what was required of them. They knew the ark. They knew the, the protocol. Yes, Jameson. What does Beth Shemesh mean? Beth Shemesh. I lost my little sticky note. Oh, it means house of the sun. S-U-N. I don't know why. Beth Shemesh. You think there's a, is, is there a connection yet? The tower to the wine press to the torn up by the roots to the house of the sun. Well, here's the part that, uh, that really, to me, if I had no knowledge of the Bible, like most of our society, this is a part to me that seems like God is pretty harsh and capricious, like the gods of the other nations, like men. So talks about the tumors, what was there, how they sacrificed the beasts on the rock. And it says, but God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the men of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? And that seems to me like, what is the big deal about looking into the ark? And... Um, and that's where we come to holiness. Like I was talking to Richard, I was talking to Debbie, talking to Jameson about this holiness. Like, so there's translations. Often it comes up like the Lord breaks out against somebody and kills them or the Lord's wrath breaks out. But it's, it feels less to me like like it's an anger, which it's referred to, but it feels more of like, like that's what God's made of and he has set it up ahead of time. He tells you ahead of time, when you're putting gas in your car, don't light your lighter right by the gas because it'll blow up. When you're working on your electrical panel and you're putting in new breakers, don't touch, don't touch the two, the two bars, the two big bars at the same time, because it will blow you up. You'll have big, big burn marks all over you. Right, Ian? Happens every time you try to... He's just saying, this is me, this is who I am, this is my nature. I have set up a way to protect you. 
from myself. And let me just go to Leviticus 3, 16.3. So in Leviticus, there are all these prescriptions for Aaron, for what you do as a priest. In chapter 16, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. Do you guys remember the, the unauthorized fire? The two sons of Aaron put fire in their censers and went before the Lord and the, and the Lord scorched him. So he's just saying to him, you can't just do what you want. So the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Then he goes on and tells a lengthy description of how Aaron is supposed to offer the sacrifice and where he's supposed to anoint the altar and put blood and all this stuff. When you think of the ark, you should be thinking in a gold covered box that's carried on two poles with two um, cherubim made out of solid gold that are reaching over the ark with their wings. And it says that the Lord, the Lord says, I will meet you underneath the cherubim. It was called the mercy seat. And I kind of wondered for a minute if Maybe the men of Beth Shemesh thought, oh, well, let's just, let's just open up the ark and make sure like, they didn't put a bunch of dead fish in it or, or they didn't steal the stuff out of it. They didn't take it seriously, but they knew from, maybe they were not familiar, maybe they did not re-familiarize themselves with the fact that you will die if you do not do this. And so there's another one. Uh, Exodus 19.10. I just want to establish that the Lord has said ahead of time what he expects from the priests. This is after the Israelites come out of Egypt. After they set out, They entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord. The people all responded together, we will do everything that the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud. 
so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, okay, go to the people, have them consecrate themselves today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes, be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai inside of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. I don't understand that part. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. So after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people. He tells him again, again, he tells Moses, I am trying to protect the people from myself. Warn the people so that they do not force their way to see the Lord, force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. And that is my point right there that he, the Lord, is completely other. I don't have replacement words for holy. To me, holy is a, is a word that has been used up and, and it doesn't mean what I think it should mean. It reminds me of a Catholic priest. I didn't grow up in, in the faith. So to me, holy, it's like you always heard about holy men of other religions. It doesn't seem like that same word should be applied to God. But I know, I mean, we know what it means. So we don't know what the men had in mind who looked in. And there is a dispute among scholars that it wasn't just 70 dudes, that it was thousands, 40, 70. That'd be a lot of people. Um, I don't know. But regardless, at some point, maybe the ark had sat there for a while, maybe nothing was happening and they just wanted to, maybe they got curious. Um, maybe they had good intentions. Uh, maybe they sincerely serve the Lord, but that sincerity doesn't fly. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering if 
the new word for sincerity is authenticity. How authenticity in our culture is, um, it's the currency. Are you just being authentic to yourself? Well, I believe this and this and this about God. I believe, you know, it's like, okay, you may be sincere in your beliefs, but God's holiness does not change. So, and I'm almost done. I don't know how far, how much time it has been. So I'm going to finish up here. The men of Beth Shemesh asked themselves, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? Now they're, 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 they're tracking with what's going on. This is serious. And where, will we, where are we going to send the ark? So they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your place. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord. They took it up to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. So Mike will pick it up next week. Um, yeah, and, and you will see that oftentimes... So the Philistines were religious people. They weren't atheists. And their solution was to give an offering instead of repenting. I don't know the depth of what goes on in churches and people's hearts, uh, but I do know that in my encounters with people that say they are Christians, you can tell the difference between a heart that is repentant and a heart that just does their, their functioning duty. Uh, they tithe, they help at the homeless shelter, they, um, they use all the right language, but you, you can tell that their hearts are not changed. Because this type of theoretical person never admits the root sin. They keep it general, they never get specific, and, um, and I think it's real important to, to, to be the church when we repent, we've gotta repent from the things We've got to repent of the things that the Lord has made it clear to us are sticking with us and sticking to us. We've got to come back over and over. We know that's in the men's group. We know it in church. Um, there's no just give your, there's no just doing your duty. The Lord is most concerned with our hearts. Um, so that's all I got. And, uh, I appreciate, Richard, I appreciate your comments. Kristen, I appreciate your encouragement. Mike, I hope this wasn't too painful for you. This is the very first time you've ever been here while I taught. It was a little bit intimidating because I just think, oh, oh, this is, 
This is good. Think about all the conversations you're having while you're in seminary. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you. You want to pray, Mike? You pray. Jesus, I am reminded of your, of your holiness. Lord, that you are, as Paul said, so other, so pure. And the, the tension of I need you, and yet I'm not worthy of you. How can a sinful person like me approach your presence? How can someone like me that's so tainted, so defiled, get what I need to live? That is the conundrum. Of, the, of this passage of the Old Testament. We need the presence of God, and yet it's the presence of God that'll kill us. And you provided, you, um, you solved that by sending your son. Because he took, he took my, my penalty. He was destroyed by your wrath because he took on my sin and now I can meet you at the mercy seat and we all can you willfully took our place you who knew no sin became sin for us that we can be called the righteousness of God. Lord, I, we celebrate that in communion now. This holy, holy thing. Thank you, Lord. We're going to take communion as we um, sing a few more songs. That is the, uh, the only way you can approach the presence of God is through a vicarious sacrifice on your behalf. If you come in the Old Testament, if we were in Old Testament days and we were having a church service and the ark was right here and we were singing some songs and you thought, I'm going to approach the presence of God, you'd die. Like those 70 people or thousands of people, whatever it was, But you get to come this morning because God sent his son, innocent, pure, holy, true, to take on your sin. I mean, think of it. This is the answer to the conundrum. This is the answer to the problem. He came and took on your sin, your guilt, your shame, 
your crimes and he was crushed by the righteous judgment of God on the cross. Crushed. Experienced and got what you deserve. Exiled out of the camp so that now you can approach his presence and not be broken out against. Not be destroyed. Not be diseased or punished. All those things that you rightfully deserve. Uh, the people that died from the God's wrath in the Old Testament, they deserved it. He's holy and they're not. How do we do this? Only We only dare approach through the blood of of Jesus, through the broken body of Jesus. That's the only way we can come to to this holy, incredible God. The only way. The good news this morning is that you can come and approach the the mercy seat of God. Think, and don't take this for granted. Nobody here is scared. Is anybody here afraid right now? No. In the Old Testament, they came before that mountain and they trembled and they said, Moses, you go on our behalf. We don't want... They were scared to death at the presence of God. Don't take this for granted. You're not scared because Jesus died and took that wrath full bore for you. That's why you can be comfortable right now. That's why you can sit or stand or think about where you're going to go for lunch. or You have no care in, the, in, in, your, in your mind. Because Jesus came and died for you, you can come and approach the presence of God and not be scared. What an amazing gift. What an amazing gift. Oh gosh, enjoy it. Enjoy it. When you come forward and you take it, what does this represent? It represents a price that was paid. Jesus did the hard thing. He did the hard thing. He paid your price. 